This episode of UK Low Carb Podcast is sponsored by Deliciously Guilt Free. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to UK Low Carb. This is a special series with Nicola Howard, a good friend of mine, where we talk about the relationship, the relationships that we have with food, whether it's physical, psychological, spiritual, societal, and even environmental. Join us each Tuesday as we talk about a different topic in this field. And if you want to be part of the conversation, then you can join our Facebook group, UK Low Carb, or you can ask Nicola Howard anything you wish in our live session at the end of this series. I'll now hand over to Nicola Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our new series. I'm very excited because Nicola Howard, who just, let's just remind ourselves, Nicola came onto the very first episode of this podcast ever back in the day when this uh, thing called COVID was not even, I don't think even called COVID at the time. It's just this idea of a coronavirus was on the way uh, in 2020. We actually recorded it before COVID hit. Yeah, it was February, wasn't it? it Just after, but I definitely think we recorded it before the world had changed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, that's Nicola's voice, by the way, if you don't know. So Nicola Howard, hey, how are you doing? I do well. How are you, you doing? You do well. I'm doing very well. I just want to say you also came on to the first anniversary show, um, and now you're here now with a new series. So just for those who have listened previously, we did a series with Graham Phillips, which was very popular. Um, we've also done a series as well with Katie Caldaisy uh, about cooking. And I thought it'd be really good to talk to Nicola because – the thing, okay, so uh, just pretend you're not here, Nicola, hearing this for a second. So Nicola has got this whole approach about what it is to be a true human being. And sometimes I think the advice you get on food can be very scientific and it can be about the chemical reactions in your body. And of course, that is important. But really, we're more than just uh, the physical. We're more than just the psychology, psychological as well. We also have a spiritual dimension. And so this ep- this episode in particular is going to be about physical addiction, but the whole series is going to be about the relationship we have, and it's between mind, the body, the spirit, the whole package. And that's what Nicola, I thought, uh, would be a, a superb expert to talk about uh, as a leading expert in the whole of the UK. So, hi, Nicola, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm I'm all flushed and embarrassed now. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got you on the back foot. Go from there. Um, um, but this has been really exciting planning, and I'm, I really think we've got some great topics. So, do you want to just tell us a bit about the idea behind the series, yeah. and and what do we have to expect over the next few episodes? Sure. So, so this is first of all, I'm very honoured that you've given me this space to talk about this stuff because it's this bit is where I really get passionate. Because as I've always said, changing our food, that's the easy part. You can give anyone a meal plan, they can get on with it. The reason people, quotes, fall off the wagon is because we don't deal with the stuff between our ears. We don't deal with our attitudes to food. There are several dimensions to that. And of course, today we're going to be, be there. Today we are going to be focusing on what carbohydrate and food and and also protein and, and fat do to our bodies and how they then create cascades of chemicals because it is all chemical that yeah. then because of the way we have developed attitudes to that which is what we're going to talk about in the next episode that's where we then start tripping over things so so all of all of this stuff starts of course with the physical reaction we get when we put something in our mouths you then have a psychological reaction to that. You will also have what I call a spiritual reaction to that. And that's where I think I'm pretty unique because I don't believe anyone else is dealing about this mind-body-spirit connection at all. Yeah. Going forward, you've then got your relationship with 
other people around food because as a society we have a whole bunch of things like we celebrate birthdays with cakes and when Mm. we reward ourselves we have a bottle of champagne and when we want to comfort ourselves normally we especially in the winter we're turning to things like stews and and potatoes and things that are comforting yeah that then is a effectively a societal relationship we have developed over the last years that is very hard to start turning your back on. Very, very hard. And again, this comes back to if we don't change our attitudes towards food, we're gonna we're gonna fall back to what we know comforts ourselves, treats ourselves, or rewards ourselves. So, so developing that sort of conversation with both the people around us and ourselves, changing our own relationships, we then sort of get out the other side of that where we start thinking about disattaching. What does a treat now mean? Mm-hmm. Rather than a box of champagne, maybe it means a bunch of flowers or a nice bath or a trip to a restaurant. The food at the restaurant isn't the treat. The going out is the treat. And so right. changing the way we think about these things is, I believe, the absolute, apart from getting rid of sugar and wheat and seed oils for health, which I know we've spoken about before from a purely food perspective because they are not food in my eyes, Um You've then got the, well, if we are removing those three things, which are, if you think about it, the pillars of all of the food that gets produced now, not grown or or reared, produced, what happens next? Well, now we've got rid of this stuff. What do I do? How do I celebrate? How do I comfort myself? So that's going to be at the very end. So hopefully we'll end up towards the end of this series, giving people the building blocks to start rebuilding their physical relationship with food their mental relationship with food and their spiritual relationship with both food and the people around you fantastic there you go so in that case we're kicking off today talking about the physical side of food and actually you know i guess addiction does come through most of this stuff with regards to relationships and how we eat and everything Um, but there's actually a chemical addiction in many foods in the first place aren't there before we even talk about the sort of societal uh you know bonds we have with food and the psychological so um do you want to just kick off then and tell us a bit about the, the the types of food we eat and what it does to our bodies and what's happening yeah so even if you don't if you are not an addictive person um sugar and gl- glucose and fructose in itself causes a pleasure sensation in your brain in what's called the nucleus accumbens i learned that the other week that ca- causes a dopamine cascade in your brain which makes you feel good and then of course because we are humans we want to keep feeling good um sugar in itself or table sugar sucrose is a mild euphoric drug if they right. found it now there there are definitely people that believe it would be like class b really which class is b. interesting yeah you see, wow. it's on that that same sort of relaxation as cannabis. Yeah. Um, but it also, you could say, has – I've not studied cannabis that much, but I don't believe it's as detrimental as sugar to the body. Yes, it's detrimental, but it's not as detrimental as sugar is because it doesn't cause a whole bunch of other stuff. It just mucks around with your brain chemistry. So when you are eating food, you get – and I'm just going to call food anything that you can consume at that point. Okay. I, I, I split it myself into food and food-like substances. Oh, yeah, of course, because it might be yeah. processed rubbish, yeah. not real. Yeah, So, so you've got the things that nourish you is what I call food. So that's things that came from an animal, from a plant, from a farm, from a tree, from a bush. And we have food-like substances which come from a factory. They are, they are things that we've put together to taste good, 
Yeah. So it's either are you nourishing your body or are you just amusing your tongue? Which actually you think about like these labels sometimes you see, they have E numbers all over them. And it's literally, you know, a scientist has gone through and looked at like your taste buds and Mm -hmm. and what your palate is like and said, well, that one gets that response, that gets that response. Let's put them together and then put them in the product. That's quite scary and sinister, isn't it really? Yeah. And I think that we can actually talk more about in the psychological because that's a thing called the bliss point that is manufactured. So we can talk about that next time, I think, because otherwise we'll go off onto that one and and then Mm. we'll lose the track for here. So what happens when you eat food is, first of all, your tongue starts to process and carbohydrate um, digestion starts with amylase production in the tongue. That Mm -hmm. sends a signal up to the brain, which sends a signal down to your your insulin receptor on the pancreas to start producing insulin because that's exactly when it starts. Whereas protein and fat don't start getting processed until they hit your stomach. Right. Okay. That in itself then causes the stretch receptors in your stomach to expand, which then starts the whole sort of path of digestion. So So it's effectively two stage. That in itself is a nice feeling when you put food in your stomach. You feel good because the body's going, oh, yes, energy, great. Crack on. Give me more of that, please. Your body's Mm -hmm. primary driver is to get you food so that you stay alive, so that you can reproduce and have babies. That's your body's purpose at at the base of it. So, So it is natural that eating is a pleasurable experience, very natural. What we then have to recognize is the effects of the food we put in. So when we are eating whole real food, as I say, from a farm, from a from a from a bush, from a tree, out the ground, off an animal, out of an animal, wherever, that real whole food, the body systems evolved to give us just enough pleasure to let us know we're doing a good thing and the systems to stop us eating when we're full. Yeah. So, so things with like protein and fat are very satisfying. Things like the fiber that's wrapped around plants is also causes the stretch receptors in the stomach to activate and go, I'm full now, you don't need any more. But they're t- two slightly different mechanisms. And there is no mechanism for carbohydrate off. So when we are eating things like fruit juice and processed foods, which don't have fiber, the stretch receptors are not being activated. And our body has no stop now, please, because when we evolved, it was rare. And I'm also a great proponent of eating seasonally if you can. And it's very difficult mm. to do these days. Yeah. Um, when we ate seasonally, if you think about when carbohydrate occurs, it's in the summer and the autumn. And we've had this discussion last time yeah, about nature's up. way of getting you fat for winter. Yeah. And it's wrapped up in fiber. So, the, yes, you can you can scarf it down until you burst, but you're going to feel it and it will make you uncomfortable. But yeah. we naturally gorged on those things because we knew they had the value to keep us alive. And the body knows it has value. Can I just ask a question on that? Sorry. You said the fiber is a good way to kind of make you feel like you're satiated. What about things like meat and fish, though? Um, they're, they don't have fiber in the same way, but they do fill us up still. So yeah. the, is it the fats or the protein or both that's, that's also having the same response in our body? They have their own off switch. As, as the, oh, I see. As I, this is as I understand it. As the body starts to absorb the, the stuff into the portal vein, into the liver, because everything, once it hits your the first bit, Small intestine, yes, yeah, small intestine mm-hmm. first. Yeah. Um, your, Which is really long, ironically. Yeah, and really, then there's really more, the large intestine is really short, but yeah. quite wide, yeah. The villi start absorbing food into your bloodstream, and it's mm-hmm. all connected to a thing called the portal vein, which heads off to your liver. 
Right. So your liver is then in charge of what's coming in. Right. And it then senses, yeah, I've had enough of this. And that then kicks off a hormonal response, which tells your brain, stop eating. Right. And how As long does it take between it. hitting your stomach and going to your liver? Because it's that point where I want to eat really quick <laughs> to make sure I get as much <laughs> of it as possible. <laughs> I, I don't actually know the deep science on this. It's not something I've studied. I mean, you could say, yeah, that there's that the, the legend of it takes 20 minutes for your stomach to register that you've eaten, which is why you should be eating more slowly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I believe there is some validity in that. Um, but I also haven't done enough research to confirm that. No, okay. It's just interesting. And then the other thing I was going to say was, so in terms of the, the things we're eating, I mean, I'm going to come with some human evolution point of view, but if we don't have a switch to turn off the button to say, oh, by the way, it, well, the switch, sorry, that say, you know, we're actually full of carbs. It's almost almost like we haven't evolved to eat them, isn't it? Yeah. Or if we have, well, it's, it's not know, that we haven't evolved to eat them. We haven't evolved to eat them in the quantity we now eat them. Because yeah. again, coming back to seasonal, it was on the trees for a certain amount of time. It was in the in the ground for a certain amount of time. And then once you'd eaten it, you've eaten it. And it's not available again until the next season. Yeah. Hungry Octobers, eh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> back in the day in the Paleolithic going, oh, blooming out. I really missed that. Um, yeah, oh, well, next we year. Then did, we then went and hunted. We then went and, and also we evolved ways of storing things and, and carrying food yeah. with us. But until then, we settled down with our agricultural revolution 10,000 years ago, which in evolutionary terms is about a nanosecond. Yeah. Um, we didn't have any way of carrying mass amounts of food. So we ate what we could find. And then mm. we didn't eat for a while, which, I mean, you've spoke about with Aranda about the fact we didn't eat and then we eat and then we don't eat and then we eat and then we don't eat. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's it was very very seasonal and we as humans now in the in the in the state we find ourselves in we are totally divorced from the physical food production that we all have. We have people yeah. that do the food production for us and then we carry on doing whatever job we're doing. We don't yeah. even need to worry about it. The closest we get to hunting and gathering is going to the supermarket or well, putting the, the shopping list is... in the online shopping. I mean, you're right, and I don't want to go too much into the societal thing, but then it's really weird, though, that how that kind of concept, all the way back, you said about hunting, gathering, fasting, all the rest of it, and now we've got the food production, and now that's somehow become three whole meals a day plus snacks in between. It's very, like I said, it's very divorced from what we used to be. It's yeah. very odd, isn't it? And you step back and look at it from the outside, oh, yeah. you go, how weird is this? I'm not even hungry. Why am I eating lunch? Because yeah. you've got to. I don't want breakfast. You have to. That's kind of yes, yeah. the most important meal of the day. If you don't have it, you'll pass out or something by lunchtime. Yeah. It's, it's oh, very yeah. odd. Very odd. And, de and definitely, I think that in the next one, when we get into psychological stuff, a lot of that is the stories we have built society around that are not based at all on physiology. So we don't need to eat three times a day. We have we evolved the, the the ability to swap between ketones and free fatty acids and glucose so that we don't need to eat all the time. If you think yeah. about sharks, sharks haven't got that. They stay awake all of the time and they eat constantly because yeah. they didn't evolve the ability to store food. Right, right. Whereas so they're not we, eating, they're dying. Yeah. Yeah. So if yeah, if they're not eating, they're dying. And we evolved the ability to use glucose and use free fatty acids and ketones. We can swap freely between the pair. Overnight, once you've finished digesting what's in your stomach, your body naturally, if you are a carb burner, you use up glycogen and then you will flop over to using free fatty acids and ketones in the mitochondria at that deep mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. 
because of course energy doesn't come from glucose or, or ketones and free fatty acids it comes from what's called atp adenosine triphosphate i always describe the mitochondria as the bureau de change of the energy systems okay. in the body yeah. because it converts whatever it puts in into atp that then powers what you do and again wow. from that physiological perspective glucose and i think this is per gram i know i know i never learned that the things properly it's in my book it's in my third book you get 9 atp for every gram of glucose you put in and you get 27 atp for every gram of ketones you put in wow amazing so so running on ketones is more efficient but it's harder on the body how's, so how's the it harder body, sorry tell me about that it, the, the process that it has to go through to do the conversion takes longer Right, of course, our body is ultimately a lazy thing. It wants to do things in the quickest way possible because it's ec it's economical. Yeah. And glucose is dead easy for it to transfer. It's only like three or four steps rather than I think it's about five or six or seven. Again, I'm, I'm not deep in with that, but it's definitely a Is that why being process. fat burning is generally harder to do, whereas being glucose burning is very simple? All you have to do is be eating fat all day, have one biscuit, and you're straight away sugar burner, aren't you? Like instantly. Mm, not quite. It's not. I don't believe it's as sensitive that at all. Um, okay. I definitely, you, it, it's oxidative preference is what it's called. So you, we have an oxidative preference of what we burn. So alcohol gets burnt first. We have to get rid of it. We can't store it. It's toxic. It needs to get done. Yeah. Out. Then is glucose. Then is fat. And I just want to say on glucose, is that because it's toxic as well? I've never heard it put like that, but now you say it quite possibly because, of course, fructose is processed in the liver as in the same pathway as alcohol. Yeah, they're linked so very much, aren't you they? You saying that? I and alcohols come from sugars originally. Yeah, it's not. It's a, a hypothesis that could be tested, but we've yeah. definitely. I mean, the work Robert Lustig's done about finding methylglyoxalol as that pre, that as that byproduct of sucrose breakdown in the liver, and it comes from the fructose which, as I say, is only processed in the liver in the same way as alcohol. So, yes, yeah. that your hypothesis there makes 100% sense. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Got, to Actually, it wasn't mine. Uh, Graham Phillips mentioned before that that he said he thinks that sugar is toxic and that's why everybody has to get rid of it. And I, it opened mm -hmm. my mind up, and I suddenly thought, yeah, he's probably got a point, and that's why it just came to me yeah. then. Um, yeah, so so just going to talk then, all those physical processes happening in the body, what's, what's the thing that makes something more addictive than something else, do you think? What is it? What's the link there to our mind that makes us – or what makes us mm. crave those foods? Um. Uh, you definitely have the the physiological reaction as I, as I described. Sugar pings our dopamine receptors. It, protein and fat don't ping those same receptors in the brain. They ping other things that just make us um, satisfied. Right. And that in itself, you could say that is addictive because it's addictive to staying alive. But it, it's not a euphoric feeling. It's not a feeling of I want more of this. It's just in terms of I will do anything to get it. Whereas sugar is definitely that next level up with, yeah, I want more of that to your brain. This is all unconscious. You you, you are not to blame for this in, in any way, shape or form. It is the way that we've evolved to take pleasure from sugar in particular. Because it was rare, the brain encouraged us to eat it when it was around. And it's as simple as that. It's not your fault that you are potentially physically psychologically mentally emotionally addicted to sugar it's just the way we evolved 
it's not our fault but then with all of these things and what we'll be digging into more next time is how we then react to that physiological response yeah and how we've then built stories around that that then hook into why we then can't stop ourselves and that's definitely a big psychological element around how we cannot stop ourselves from eating these things until we start to think about things do you ever think though i mean you said earlier on about you know the fact that if sugar was discovered now it'd be classed as a potentially classed as a b grade or b whatever you call it um categorized drug um do you think, though, that if we lived in a sugar-free world, even we just had carbohydrate, which I know breaks down into sugar in our body, but we didn't have processed sugar, we didn't have like sugar in vegetables or in fruit, sorry, what would the world be like, do you think? Would we, would we kind of be free from this, do you think? Would addiction oh. still happen with carbohydrate as well? Think about what happened. It's literally 120 years ago. Mm. We didn't have, if you think about the amount of sugar, pure, and I'm talking table sugar here, because, of course, that has the su- that is sucrose, so that's fructose and glucose. Yeah. So back at the turn of the 20th century, we ate, uh, this is American data, four pounds of sugar per person per year. Right. Um, now, the Americans, I believe, are something like 120 pounds per person per year. Oh, my and word. We, we are something like 80 or 90, although our the UK sugar consumption has gone down, but our fruit consumption has gone up. If yeah, you added them both yeah. together, I suspect they'd come out as the same because, of course, fruit is the same as sugar. I, I get a lot of flack with, I believe that a chocolate bar is identical to an apple. I get a uh, lot of flack. Or kick that off massively. Oh, yeah. I bet they do, yeah. And, and that's potentially something we can talk about completely another time. But physiologically, they both contain sucrose, they both contain fructose and glucose. Glucose itself is vital for life. Every single cell in your body can deal with a glucose hit. Only your liver can deal with fructose. And so if you lived in a society where there was no table sugar, we would all be healthier. Wow. I believe. That's powerful, isn't it? And, and if you Amazing. think about what Robert Lustig did with, he took a, he did an experiment on 20 kids and he swapped their carbohydrate make- makeup he took out all the sugars and put starches in place. So it was what's called isocaloric. The, the, the amount of calories in their diets were, they were identical before and after. Mm-hmm. They all got healthier. Their blood markers improved. They all got more energy just by taking away the sugar and replacing it with starchy carbohydrate instead because wow. they're taking away the fructose. Wow. Amazing. So, for, yeah. so they, this is what I find interesting. When I was doing supply work in primary schools, um, one of the kids was told, you're not allowed to have sweets at school. We must have fruit only. Um, oh. And then they all had these, um, I don't know what, which company makes them. They're like a, there's like a type of like, it looks like a reel, like a roll. And it's kind of like apple puree put together. Mm-hmm. So it's very intense fructose yeah. really and it's wrapped around a reel and all these kids were saying it's not their fault they're only children but they're saying you know so-and-so has got a biscuit or something he's not allowed to have that they've got to have fruit and they're eating their you know like their fructose strip things thinking yeah. it's being healthy and their parents think it's healthy obviously and yeah. i think that's just terrible absolutely terrible that they you know they think that's yeah. a healthy treat yeah we we could do a whole nother podcast on how fruit the propaganda around fruit has given it this wonderful angelic appearance yeah. and it's really not well especially the fruit that we eat now is not the same fruit yeah. we had 200 years ago is it it's Absolutely. very different um yeah. this confectionery we, now we've, we've as we do we've we've genetically engineered fruit to be sweeter less fibrous 
and and basically deliver that luscious, juicy, fruity hit that we all love. I'll admit, I, I, I've been eating some strawberries because it's summer. It's the only time I eat strawberries is in when they're in season. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they are sweeter than when I was a kid. I yeah. know they are. Yeah. And that's only 40 years ago, effectively. I've, when I've, I was I've remembering eating fruit when I was 10 in the fields with my parents going, going strawberry picking. Yeah, but I've heard people say that. They've all, I've also heard people say that raspberries used to be too sour and now they've become sweet enough so they're actually they're okay now, which is interesting, isn't it? It's definitely changing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I know I love raspberries, but I can't eat them because the pips get stuck in my teeth. Can't do okay. it. But, but yeah, <laughs> which is another that, episode. Definitely. Yeah, that is. But definitely, we, we are, we've effectively, from a man perspective, we have interfered with our fruit, our food supply chain so much. It's so divorced from even when it was 50 years ago. There's, yeah. there's a whole other thing you can do on wheat about Norman Borlaug and creating dwarf wheat and being the saviour of India because he created a strain of wheat that produces more more seed, Yeah. but also changing the way the gluten structure works, with, which means it gets more zonulin, which means you get more leaky gut, more autoimmune, more brain. There's, there's a, again, a whole other podcast we could do on that one. Well, there you go. Well, I'll tell you what, let's leave it as it is for now. So thank you, Nicola, for the first episode on the physical side uh, of that in our relationship. Sorry, the relationship, body, mind and spirit. Uh, thanks for joining me today. And um, I want to hear from listeners as well and all those also people watching this on YouTube. So if you have any comments, uh, you can go to UK Low Carb, uh, my Facebook group, or you can go to Nicola's group, which is Low Carb, Low in, the Carb UK. in the UK. Yeah, so we're like sister brother um, groups. So you can go to either group to connect with people and be part of the conversation. Um, and I'd also like to hear what you think about today's show and any thoughts you might have. And then next week, we'll be back again when we talk about the psychological aspect of food uh, and how that relates to us. So it's going to build on what we've done today. So um, thank you so much for coming on today, Nicola, and I'll speak to you next Tuesday. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Dan. See you next week. <laughs>